Talk 104.1. My name is Nick Reed. Welcome to the show. Speaking of Martin Luther King Jr. Day, there's this $10 million MLK statue that was erected in Boston, and there's it's a photo of the moment, evidently, that Martin Luther King Jr. Um, won the 1964 Nobel Peace Prize, and and so he's embracing his wife, Coretta Scott King. And so this this statue, if you haven't seen it, it's supposed to be based off of that. It, but it's just the arms. Like their heads are missing and their torsos are missing. So it's these giant arms. And from any given angle, you can I, – I, I don't know, perhaps if you understand the context – at some angles, you would recognize what it's supposed to be. But the vast majority of Americans, they're not familiar with that picture. Um, you know, Even people that are very familiar with Martin Luther King Jr. may not even connect the two, or even if they've seen the photo in the past. It's not one that really stands out. And so it's the sort of monument, if you will, that has to be explained, which to me defeats the purpose. Um, if if you have to explain, well, here's what it is, you're you're losing some of it. Although I'm sure that there is some sort of plaque there that explains what it is. Um, but it, it, I mean, across the board, people are mocking this thing. Some say from a certain angle, it looks as if it is a nod to the known womanizing of Martin Luther King Jr. Um, others say that it just looks totally, completely weird and awkward. And I I don't know what it is. Well, I do know. Oftentimes people who are artists are more concerned with grabbing attention and being about them than it is about the art itself. And so what they do is they create something that they know is going to create controversy. And while you know, if you're just an artist and you're just you're doing quote art, so be it. But you'd think if you're commissioned to create something that is about someone else, you could set that aside and actually make it something that isn't going to create controversy, that isn't going to create conversation about everything other than what it's actually supposed to be about. But there's a level of narcissism with some of these individuals that get paid a lot of money in the name of art that I think makes it virtually impossible for them to create art that's anything other than about themselves. And it's just an, it's an unfortunate thing. And now it's just going to sit there for God knows how long and be seen as an insult to the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. Talking in the last hour, Joe Biden, in an effort to once again brilliantly bring people together, uh, falsely accused insurance companies of being part of some sort of conspiracy to target black people and have higher insurance rates for black people for one reason and one reason only, according to Joe Biden, only because they're black. That's the only reason that they have higher insurance rates, because of that racism within the insurance industry. And, of course, 
regionally, you are going to have higher rates in, in some regions of the country than others because it, it's all dependent on the likelihood that an insurance company is going to have to pay out. Age is a factor in this. There are a number of factors in this. And, and ultimately, ideally, it's all about what is the likelihood we are going to have to pay out. And if the individual puts down, this is the area that they live in, and that is an area in which there's a disproportionately high number of vehicles that get stolen, people get carjacked, even potentially worse than just stealing of a vehicle, but actually having the the individual in the car harmed during the process of it, are they going to end up having to pay out for that? It's going to cost more. But according to Joe Biden, no, it's because you're black. But here's a story that illustrates my point. The Washington, D.C. Council is expected to override Mayor Muriel Bowers' veto of sweeping criminal reform legislation that will soften penalties for many violent crimes, including carjackings and burglaries. Bowser vetoed the revised Criminal Code Act earlier this month after the council, which lacks a single Republican member, all Democrats, voted unanimously to adopt it in November. The overhaul of the city's criminal code includes reducing maximum sentences, the elimination of nearly all mandatory minimum sentences, and expanded rights to jury trials by those accused of misdemeanors. Criminal justice reform advocates note that the bill is necessary, or say the bill is necessary, to modernize the law, which was written in 1901, and ensure that punishments are proportionate to the crimes being committed. Opponents, however, have sounded the alarm on provisions that would allow D.C. inmates to ask for early release 20 years into their sentence, even those accused of violent crimes like murder or rape. As usual with Democrats, their compulsion here is to lighten the load for rapists and murderers, for criminals, for those who seek out law-abiding citizens to victimize them. The go-to defense is of the criminal. How can we make life easier for them? How can we be of greater accommodation? Even here in, in Springfield, we talked on Thursday about this press release and a half a million dollar taxpayer grant that goes to helping train prisoners to be prepared for green jobs. But they're not called prisoners. No, 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 no. They're justice-involved uh, individuals. See, we don't want to hurt the feelings of these people. And so here's a perfect example of policies that send a message to criminals that they will be punished less for committing crimes, carjackings being amongst them. These are the sorts of policies that result in insurance companies having to raise their rates. And as is customary with Democrats, they create a problem. Now, this is government in and of itself, but Democrats love to lead the charge in this country, creating a problem, then recognizing the problem, but blaming other people for it. And in this case, it's the president of the United States claiming that it is the insurance companies that are racist and, and they don't like black people. And so they are simply raising the rates for that purpose. Not because you have areas like Washington, D.C. that say, carjackers, you shouldn't spend so much time in prison. 
And here you had the mayor and executives generally recognize that whenever there are issues, they are going to be the ones looking to solve it, who has actually overrode this overrode this legislation in D.C. And you have the council overriding her veto. She vetoed the legislation and they overrode the veto. Jason Ryman with the latest news update. A man from Springfield has been arrested and charged after police found a number of pictures and videos of child pornography at his home. 56-year-old Craig Roden is due in court on Wednesday. Springfield police investigators received a number of tips online last spring. A man from Springfield was killed in a crash Monday in Branson West. 36-year-old Brent Sexton died when his vehicle ran off Highway 13 and rolled over and then caught fire. Work begins this week on the construction of a sound wall in South Springfield. It will be located on James River between Campbell and National. Two of three planned sound walls will be built north of Highway 60. Those are part of the James River Freeway widening project, which will also add one lane of traffic in each direction between Kansas and National. And one person is dead after a house fire in Washington County, Arkansas. It happened Saturday morning in Weddington Woods. That home was on fire when crews arrived. One person got out, but the other died. I'm Jason Rima, Springfield Stock, 1041. First alert forecast sponsored by St. Clair of the Ozarks Home Improvements. Cloudy 62 for a high today. Rain likely tonight, 48, 57 tomorrow with rain. Partly sunny Thursday, 42. You're listening to Nick Reed in the morning on Springfield's Talk 1041. Story will require women and legislature to cover arms, shoulders as part of stricter dress code. Uh, by the way, there's a dress code for men, too. A new rule in the Missouri State House will require women to cover their shoulders and arms while working as part of a stepped-up dress code that has generated backlash from Democrats. Why? Because women are being treated like men? I thought we wanted equality and equity. Are men allowed to wear tank tops Am I in uh, the Capitol? Is this something I'm uh, unaware of? The new proposal submitted by State Rep. Ann Kelly directs the proper attire for women in the State House to include jackets along with shirts or slacks. The dress code for men stipulate that they must wear a jacket, a shirt, and a tie. Kelly said this week the new rule for women was meant as a measure of equality. Ahead of the measure's successful package, Democrats sharply criticized the new rule. Democrat Representative Ashley Ahn said, Do you know what it feels like to have a bunch of men in the room looking at your top trying to determine if it's appropriate or not? Well, first off, the new proposal was submitted by a woman, not a bunch of men. And stop your whining. I'm just so tired of the whining. It's not a good look, by the way. It runs counter to an argument oftentimes that's made. You know, I mean, and, and you do. You, you, I imagine if you are an elected official and you're a woman and you want to be treated with dignity and respect and you want to be afforded the same respect as a man, to whine about things does not help your cause. Do you know what it feels like? Representative Peter Meredith, meanwhile, refused to vote on the new rule, calling it a really dangerous road for us all to go down. It's dangerous. This is dangerous. 
This is an example of why so many people tune these folks out, because they make ludicrous, ludicrous claims without explaining. How is this dangerous? The measure, part of a larger rules package, passed 105 to 51. Now, another reason that this is bad form, in the, the whining about it, is because people recognize that you have certain people that just whine about everything. On one hand, they whine that they want to be treated just like men, but then when they are treated just like men, they whine about the fact that they're being treated just like men. There is a dress code for men as well, arguably even stricter. Not only is there a need for a jacket, but men also have to wear a tie. You don't hear men bitching about it, whining about, why do I have that? It's not fair. Do you know what it's like? to Get out of there if you can't handle it. Men also have to have proper attire. Men have to cover their shoulders. Men have to have their arms covered. Why should women be treated differently than men? I mean, which is it? What do you want here? Do you want to be treated with the, with the, the, the same approach as men? Or do you want special treatment because you're a girl? Do you want special allowances because you're a girl? People who want to have it both ways present themselves as being whiny, present themselves as being spoiled. They present themselves as being these whiny little center of the universe brats. And then they have nut jobs claiming that this is a dangerous path to go. I I don't even know what one is supposed to infer from that other than it appears to be the standard democrat rhetoric where what they they just have to take it to the extreme without being required to give any explanation whatsoever so deal with it and quit your whining Springfield's Talk 1041. I'm Nick Reed. Springfield's Talk 1041 is always just an app away. Download the KSGF app and listen live or catch what you missed on KSGF Mornings with Nick. You're listening to Nick Reed in the Morning on Springfield's Talk 1041. Emily Johnson, House Theory Realty, all of your home buying needs, all of your home selling needs. If you want the best. You want Emily Johnson House Theory Realty. She is a team within one. There are a lot of um, companies that that boast of having a big team of people uh, to help you. This is a person in this area of expertise. This is a person in this area of expertise. The problem with that, and for me anyhow personally, is that oftentimes one doesn't know the, what the other has done with you, and so you spend a lot of time giving them background. Uh, they have to look up your file. They've got to do this and that. And, and so you get a loss of translation oftentimes and efficiency. But Emily Johnson, she is all of those personalities in one. When it comes to staging your home, knowing what you don't need to 
do, which is at times perhaps even more important than what you do need to do in order to get your house to sell as quickly as possible. Also, recommendations. You've get, got the inspection, and there are a few things you need done. Uh, she can arrange that or help you arrange that because most people don't necessarily have those connections. She does. She's a full team, all-in-one, Emily Johnson, House Theory Realty. Uh, There is a report, CNN had this report of all places, noting that the average American uh, has to spend an extra $371 per month uh, due to inflation compared to a year ago. Now, the reason that this is important is because, one, we're still being told by the Biden administration that their economic policies are working out wonderfully and we are all reaping the benefits. Well, these are the results. They have implemented policies, largely through spending, that resulted in 40-year high rates of inflation. Then, when they tick down just a bit, they brag as if they've done something wonderful. It reminds me years and years ago of hearing this joke about a guy who Rolls past a stop sign. He gets pulled over by a police officer. And the police officer comes, you know what you did? And he's like, no. He said, you didn't stop at that stop sign. He said, well, I slowed down. The police officer, having a bad day and tired of listening to people make excuses, drags the guy out of the car and starts beating him relentlessly with his baton. And then after about 20 seconds of beating the guy down, he says, now, do you want me to stop or do you just want me to slow down? Uh, perspective oftentimes gives you a, 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 a different opinion, a different understanding of things. And things have been created so badly that even when they, it, they, they let up just a little bit, they frame it as if they're doing something wonderful. No, you just slow down the beating a bit. And so you go from, you know, whatever, 8, 7, and then 6.8, whatever the latest rate of inflation. That's still not good. That's still not good. In addition to that, oftentimes we hear about these numbers. We hear 7.8% inflation, 8.1%, 6.8% from, uh, you know, this year over last year. And that doesn't necessarily translate in our minds. What does that actually mean? We know that it means that we have taken essentially a pay cut, that we have less money, we have less buying power with the money that we have today than we did one year ago. But in terms of what does that actually mean? So breaking it down in terms of actual dollars is meaningful. And according to the report from Moody Analytics, for the average family, You had to spend $371 more a month due to inflation than you did a year ago. That's a lot. For some people, depending on the size of the family and how frugal they are, that is an entire month's budget for groceries. So for some people, you're talking about doubling the amount of money that they have to spend on groceries. And as is consistent 
with harmful Democrat policies, the people who get harmed the most are lower class, followed by middle class, and their extremely wealthy 1% promoters are not impacted at all. And we're told that this is the great success of the Biden economic policies just last week, telling us that it is, quote, working. If this is success of Democrat economic policies, please stop succeeding. We cannot take it anymore. You're listening to Nick Reed in the Morning on Springfield's Talk 1041. Speaking of inflation, somebody noted on the American Transmissions talk and text line something that you noted, Sarah, that gas is up 20 cents. Yeah, I watched it jump. Uh, it's more success. Yeah, it was like two ninety nine up in Buffalo, and then the next day it was like three nineteen. More success. Yes, thankfully I got gas when it, it was, was two ninety nine. It was like one of those things that even though it was still twice, over twice, what it was at, at uh, a period during the Trump presidency and our energy independence uh, you still felt like finally a little bit of breathing room it just whatever it was and I remember actually my wife noting that at one point it was going down and and I made the comment I was like yeah it's still over twice what it was and she was like I know but it's something you know like it's at least something we can look at and be grateful that at least they're, they're taking their boot off our neck a little bit and you know it didn't last long Sarah Myers, everyone. Hey, thank you. Well, do you have a ton of home repairs that need to be done, but you simply don't have time for it? I get it because between work and the baby and taking care of my mini farm and spending time with friends and family, I 100% understand when someone says that they just don't have time for home repairs. Uh, But I also understand that my home is the most important investment that I will make, and it is incredibly important to keep it in the best shape as possible. So that's why I trust my friends over at Beatles Property Maintenance to help me with my home repair needs. Now, Beatles is spelled B-E-A-D-L-E-S, and they do a variety of home repairs and maintenance. Now, they can help you out with some of those bigger name jobs, like maybe you would like to get some radon mitigation testing done. Maybe you have some mold that needs to be treated, or maybe some crawl space repairs. Or they can also help you with some of those smaller jobs, things that kind of pile up over time, like installing new light fixtures, painting, and even deck repairs. And that's especially important since we're moving into that spring time. And hey, you'll be out in your deck uh, quite a bit more. So whether you do find yourself needing a big home repair or a smaller uh, list of items that are those just maintenance everyday things, Beatles Property Maintenance can help you out. Now you can find all of the contact information for Bruce and the Beatles Property Maintenance team at ksgf.com under the Sarah's Endorsements tab. There's a uh, battle brewing uh, the federal debt limit. Now this is different than... Um, government shutdown stuff. This is different, and they can easily get conflated. And so I thought I'd share with you, the Washington Examiner has a piece. Federal debt limit, what to know is Republicans and Biden prepared for battle. So what, what exactly does this mean? Because there's going to be a lot of, obviously, finger-pointing, And this is the upside for the Biden administration is they can begin and they do a very good job of this with the help of of their allies in the media of framing the economic failures of the Biden administration as being 
uh, something created by Republicans because they control the House and they, you know, blocked Biden from doing what is necessary to continue the great successes that we are all benefiting from. The biggest fiscal fight of the new year is lining up to be won over raising the federal debt limit. Here is what to expect as the showdown intensifies over the coming months. What is the debt limit? The U.S. debt limit. And I know some of you are familiar with this. Some of you follow very closely politics, but even you you may have a difficulty really truly defining what it means when it comes to the debt limit, which is why it is that I wanted to read this, uh, this piece to you, because I think it breaks it down fairly well. The U.S. debt limit is the total amount of money the government is allowed to borrow. The debt ceiling that we so often hear about was first created in 1918 and was originally set at $11.5 billion. Congress enacted the first aggregate debt limit that covered almost all government debt in 1939 and set it at $45 billion. Congress is the sole body that has authority over raising that limit. Currently, the borrowing limit, also referred to as the debt ceiling, is now at $31.4 trillion. It was last increased to that level some two years ago. By the way, I would argue the fact that you have to keep raising the debt limit is a clear sign that we are doing things poorly. It would be, to put it in day-to-day terms, if you are handling your finances in a manner that put you in a position where you had to call the credit card companies and have your limit increased. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to pay your bills. Now, I think anyone, if you were to what if you were you realize that you had some real problems with spending habits, you were a financial mess, and you were in the position that you had to go to a financial counselor, and one of the things that you noted is that you know, just two years ago, in order to pay your bills, you had to go all the credit card companies and have a significant increase put on the credit cards. And you've already used all that up. And that is your once again, your answer. That the, the financial advisor would say, no, no this is the sign of a, a, a real problem that and while you may have no choice at this point, arguably, other than to go ahead because you've created this situation of such fiscal irresponsibility and negligence that at this point, yeah, you've got to try and get that, but there have got to be changes made. You cannot continue down this path. Now, the problem is we've continued down this path over and over and over again. And instead of, after raising the debt ceiling once again two years ago, saying, oops, we need to cut back because this is not only not the answer, but it contributes to the problem, making it more devastating and more difficult to turn back from, we increase the problem by increasing spending by massive degrees. Hence, of course, inflation. And now the fact that once again, the debt ceiling needs to be raised. So the borrowing limit, the debt ceiling, was raised to $31.4 trillion just two years ago. Of that $30.4 trillion, about $24.5 trillion is debt, just debt alone held by the public. Nearly $7 trillion is intragovernmental holdings, which are mostly debt held in trust funds such as those for Social Security. 
the federal debt as a percentage of the gross domestic product is a whopping 120%. Federal debt eclipsed 100% of GDP in 2014. So again, this is not something that just popped up. This is almost a decade problem in terms of that that massive um, the uh, the debt compared to the GDP. Although it was also above that level once before in the aftermath right after World War II, which I think most people can understand why that occurred. However, we are not in the middle of a world war right now. Lawmakers have raised the debt limit nearly 100 times since it was enacted in order to prevent the United States from defaulting, and Democrats are now pushing for Congress to raise it once again this year. House Republicans, though, now in the majority, are hoping to exact concessions from Biden in exchange for voting to increase the ceiling. How does the debt limit relate to a government shutdown? The threat represented by the debt ceiling is not the same as the threat of a government shutdown. It is more serious. The two situations are often confused by those reading the news and even some lawmakers. A government shutdown can occur when Congress disagrees on funding future spending by government agencies. When the government shuts down, some workers are furloughed and some government services go unprovided. In the 2018-19 government shutdown, for example, Some national parks fell into disrepair. Some craft beer makers couldn't get labels for their products. Overall, the economic fallout was limited, and it was on the other occasions when the government shut down, as it was, rather, on other occasions when the government shut down. So in other words, it really isn't that big of a deal. The debt ceiling, in contrast, allows the Treasury to take out debt to pay for spending that has already been authorized in the past. Raising the debt ceiling does not authorize new spending. Instead, it allows the Treasury to make pay or to pay rather incoming bills, most significantly the interest payment owed on the debt. So essentially it's it's bill paying. Is there enough money going back to the credit card situation? So we've been put in the position where we have just two years ago, oh, you know, since this debt ceiling, since we began using the quote credit cards to pay for this debt, we've requested an increase in the amount of of uh, debt we can put on the credit card, the spending limit, if you will, one hundred times. The last was two years ago, and we've already used all of that, and so we need another increase so we can go further in debt. And if not. What's going to happen is, and you, again, you can relate this to every day, the same thing to some degree, of course, that happens if you have bills coming in and you can't pay them. Bad things start to happen because the people whom you owe the money do not like to not be paid. The U.S. has never failed to make an interest payment on the debt in modern times, apart from failing to to pay some smaller investors one time in 79, but that was because of a glitch in the system for processing payments. Last week, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen announced that the Treasury uh, expects the debt limit to be reached Thursday. The debt subject to the limit stood at $31.3 trillion as of Friday, which is just short of the $31.4 trillion limit on us as credit cards. 
Now, what happens when the limit is reached? We're going to take a traffic update here, and then we'll explain that next. I'm Nick Reed. You're listening to Nick Reed in the Morning on Springfield's Talk 1041. What happens when the debt limit is reached? The Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen announced that uh, Treasury expects to max out the credit cards on Thursday, which means that we need to go back to the credit card companies, this would be Congress, and get an approval for uh, an increase in the limit. So what happens when the limit is reached? When the limit is reached, the Treasury may no longer issue new debt, that is, Treasury bills, notes, and bonds, to pay the government's incoming bills without issuing new debt. So this is what happens if if the credit card limit is not increased. The Treasury will turn to what are called extraordinary measures to free up cash, essentially shifting money around government accounts. So again, this is the sort of thing a person might do if... You've got massive debt, you have all of these bills coming in, and you've maxed out your credit cards. You start trying to shift things around a bit if you have the wiggle room to do so. For example, the Treasury can prematurely redeem Treasury bonds held in the retirement savings accounts of federal employees, suspend state and local government serious securities or series securities, and haul contributions to some government pension funds. The measures have been used at least 16 times since first being deployed in 1985, according to the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, and as recently as 2021. Still, the extraordinary measures will eventually run out. Yellen said that they would be sufficient to carry the U.S. through early June, setting up a rough deadline for the congressional showdown. At some point, the Treasury will no longer be able to guarantee that it can make all incoming payments on time and in full. That point is referred to a bit ominously as the X date. Bills come due to the Treasury in lumps. For example, the Treasury might have to pay a $4 billion bill for federal salaries one day and then a $30 billion bill for Medicare and a $40 billion bill for interest on the debt the next business day. On certain days, the Treasury might also get tax payments, but at some point it may not have enough cash on hand to pay a bill in full. At that point, in theory, the Treasury would have to decide to either make some payments in full and skip others or make payments as they come up and delay subsequent payments. Some of the choices would be tough, such as withholding Social Security checks from disabled recipients, and others would be unthinkable, such as defaulting on an interest payment on that debt. In any scenario, it's thought that the Treasury should prioritize interest payments on the debt as Treasury securities underpin the global financial system. Past Treasury secretaries of both parties have said that there is no workable plan for prioritizing payments, that doing so would not be feasible. Still, congressional Republicans have in the past drawn up legislation to prioritize certain payments if the debt ceiling isn't lifted. So what happens if the U.S. defaulted on the debt? It is thought that defaulting on the debt would have catastrophic effects on the economy, casting doubt on payments on Treasury securities, viewed globally as a risk-free asset, could send interest rates soaring and have profound knock-on effects for nearly all financial instruments. A default would have a similar effect on the economy as the Great Recession, which was the worst economic downturn since the Great Depression, according to a report by Moody's Analytics. Moody's predicted in 2021 that the fallout would be so severe that investors would panic, 
and pull their money from the stock market, causing stocks to plunge by a massive 33%. Mark Zandi, Moody's chief economist, said, quote, stock prices would be cut almost in one-third at the worst of the sell-off, wiping out $15 trillion in household wealth. And we've already lost a tremendous amount under the economic policies of Biden. So this would be an addition to that, if these assessments are correct. Treasury yields, mortgage rates, and other consumer and corporate borrowing rates spike, at least until the debt limit is resolved and Treasury payments resume. Even then, rates never fall back to where they were previously. During the closest brush with default, the 2011 debt limit crisis, the economy still experienced a blow despite the default never even materializing. Stock prices fell in the lead-up to the eventual agreement to raise the ceiling, and it took half a year for them to recover fully, according to the New York Times. Additionally, credit ratings, standards, and poor's downgraded the U.S. economy from its AAA rating. So what are the two sides saying? So far, Republicans have made it clear they want to use the moment to work on reducing federal spending and debt. Now, that is the wise thing to do. While that does not necessarily have any impact on the need to raise the debt limit right now, it is an attempt to make sure that we don't end up in this situation once again. It is an attempt to make sure that we don't once again close that gap of the limit increase to where we've maxed out the credit cards and we have to go back to the credit card company and say, we need another increase on our limit. Because we have no money, because we are horribly or we're fiscally responsibly horrible at this, and we refuse to make these, quote, tough decisions. So Republicans are trying to utilize this as an opportunity to, to force this to occur because they recognize that they're going to need some agreement from Democrats, and they're thinking, okay, so th- th- this is the time we're go- this is the only time we're going to get them to come to the table and, and agree to potentially make some of these changes. Kevin McCarthy said on Saturday he's willing to work with President Joe Biden and congressional Democrats on a deal to cap government spending and sidestep a default, although details of exact numbers and demands are still not clear. Now, that being said, Biden has made clear that he will work with Republicans as long as they do what he wants them to do, which, of course, is continue this problem. And while Republicans have, in the most recent years, greatly contributed to this problem, at least now you have the recognition that this problem cannot continue. McCarthy said on Fox News, I want to sit down with him now that, you know, so that it, it, McCarthy's saying we got to work together on this. We've got to get it fixed. And like I said, Biden is like, well, I'll work with Republicans, but as long as they, you know, do what I want them to do. Uh, House Minority Le- Leader and election denier Hakeem Jeffries accused Republicans of putting the country in a dangerous position over the debt limit showdown. In a recent interview with NY1, he warned of global economic fallout, saying in our country's history, which is about 247 years old, the United States of America has never defaulted on our debt. And if we do so because of extremist Republicans in the House, that we will have grave consequences for Social Security, for Medicare, for the economy, and the, in fact, not just for the country, but for the world. And so what you have here are Democrats, they're going to use the fear of defaulting in order to force their attempt here, force Republicans to allow the fiscal irresponsibility to continue. Now, in reality, the extremist Republicans are not the ones who are saying 
Yes, we are going to have to once again go to the credit card company and get our limits increased, but we also need to figure out how to stop this from occurring. We need to make some financial decisions here that will no longer require us to go back to the credit card company and increase the limit. Now, that is what the election denying Hakeem Jeffries, leader of Democrats in the House, that's the position that he calls extreme. When in reality, what is extreme is continuing to do this to the American people. And then they use the threat of defaulting as, a, as, an, a, as leverage in order to keep doing this. Meanwhile, Yellen has emphasized just how high the stakes are if the government continues to head towards a default. In her letter last week, she noted how even the perception that the United States might default would hurt the economy. Quote, failure to meet the government's obligation would cause irreparable harm to the U.S. economy, the livelihoods of Americans, and global financial stability. Simply put, this conflict that we're going to hear and the accusations that Republicans are going to be responsible for this great economic calamity and the loss of confidence in our economy and all the economic consequences that come along with it, that is not the problem. The problem is what has led us once again, just two years later than the the last time this happened, it it is the, the financial decisions that have put us in this position. And people who do not want to fix the source of the problem. This is a tough battle for Republicans because Democrats have the media on their side and they have the the, the unbothered nature of their souls when it comes to lying to the American people. They have no ethics or morals when it comes to that. So they, they have the ability to lie. They have the uh, media on their side to help them do it and to paint Republicans as being fiscally re- irresponsible when they are, at this point at least, gunning to finally show some fiscal responsibility. You're listening to Nick Reed in the Morning on Springfield's Talk 1041. You see, oftentimes you wonder how does it happen, these celebrities that have all of this wealth, all of this revenue coming in. And then they just go absolutely flat broke. And it's because they have the same approach that so many in Washington, D.C. have. And right now, the Democrat Party is digging their heels in to have. And that is just an absolute refusal, absolute refusal to be fiscally responsible. The problem, though, uh, when it's government doing it, you and I are the ones that are on the hook. And they don't give a damn. News in 60 seconds. When 